that was an intentional pause because uh, we have comments and emails galore and uh, such that uh, I think we are definitely calling this a bonus episode. So welcome to episode 44.5. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowa Cap. 45.5. 45.5, 45.5, that's right, we already did 44.5. In fact, one of the things we're going to be responding to is from episode 44.5. Um, but I think we first need to start with the emails. Because um, those are... <laughs> gosh, those, the chat's already already reminding me why I, why I missed this. Uh, Patrick says, show pineapple. Uh, and Carl Menger <laughs> says, Josh, don't be exactly half of an 11-pound black forest ham. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done chat uh but but i think we need to start with with emails um because i think we got some really good emails did we not we did we did um <laughs> um so you know we uh we always we always appreciate um we always appreciate anyone who takes the time uh to uh email us and uh uh and so i your vovovol which completely sounds like a real name and not a cat walking across a keyboard um, um <laughs> says hi buyer thank you for your interest in our products you're welcome for my lack of interest. Your yearly membership for Norton 360 has been renewed and updated and, sorry, and was all caps, and updated successfully. Item name, Norton 360. Finish date in one year. Quantity, one. Amount total, 440 US dollars. Payment method, automatic debit. Uh, and then there's an invoice number, invoice date, um, uh, that, uh, that are probably someone's private information. So I want the <laughs> automatically generated. Um, oh, let me see if the invoice date even matches the date of the email. It does very good job. Oh. <laughs> and then, um, and then if you require urgent assistance, please call our experts for refund and settlement issue on, and then it gives an 844 number um, that I'm I'm sure totally does not go to India, but then says, sincerely, Patrick R. So, is very helpfully also going by Patrick R. of the Billing and Settlement Department. So, very appreciative of, uh, Yarvival's, uh, slash Patrick's, uh, but not that Patrick's, um, listenership and, and, uh, contribution to the po- podcast. Um, uh, you know what? It's just then, always good to hear from a fan. Yeah. Seriously. Um, and then, uh, and then Rosine, um, says, this message oh, seems dangerous. Sorry, Somewhere is this a new email? This is a new email? This is a new email. Because new I email. have to say, oi, verbal, 
and uh, Patrick R. Um, to quote Patrick in the chat, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I ha- um, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> oh, boy. The, this, this message from Rosine seems, seems very important. The, mm. the message in its entirety is, this message seems dangerous. Similar messages were used to steal people's personal information. Avoid clicking links, downloading attachments, or replying with personal information. Um, but there's Thank nothing you, in the body of this email. No links. No. <laughs> um, the message title is greetings. So greetings, Rosine. Greetings. I don't know why you seem so dangerous. Um, <laughs> She's just one of those um, dangerous girls. <laughs> I wonder if she <laughs> takes church selfies. Yeah, yeah. She she's not like those other too. girls. She's able to be she's able to be dangerous with no uh, message content. Um, and and then um, and then perhaps least importantly, Carl Menger says, "Hi, Anarchist Bible Study. Um, where is my live stream uh, live stream link? Did you think I wouldn't notice, Josh? What are you trying to do? Protect your intellectual property and." Maintain the integrity of your Patreon kickbacks, thus fulfilling contractual promises. Yeah, right. Uh huh. IP isn't real and money is bad. Don't you miss my clever witticisms and, and casual anti Semitism in chat? <laughs> Give me a link, Josh. After all, I'm not like other girls. <laughs> y equals MX plus B, Carl. <laughs> well, you know, I just kind of figured we were really, uh, planning on taking a right turn into becoming the anarchist math study. So I just wanted to save you the heartache, Carl. But of course, he's back in the chat because the chat uh, because we were convinced by that email, really. That it was and, very convincing. I, it, my favorite part of this email is, is, is sorry, you were going to say. No, go ahead. My favorite part of this email is that uh, Google gave me a couple automated responses to it. Which are, what are you talking about? <laughs> what? And just what? And love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Google has really captured the gamut of the correct, correct responses. <laughs> to this All email. of them actually, are proper responses. All of them. The, the AI is actually very good. <laughs> yeah. The email one is... But but that email won us back, Carl. And it was because of that email and not because... I just got lazy and forgot to send you links. It was because of the email. <laughs> uh, yep, my bad. Uh, but welcome back to the to the chat, Carl Menger. Um, your uh, you've been missed, and uh, um, not by me, but um, some people have have missed you in the chat. So, uh, welcome back. <laughs> and then and then finally. On Christmas Eve, um, Martin um, says, greetings, accidental link to one of our YouTube videos instead of the name of our channel. Um, (laughs) 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 um, uh, and, And then the first line of the email is, howdy, 
accidental link, link, accidental link to the same YouTube video instead of the name of our channel. <laughs> um, which, uh, let me check actually, this is, um, which, which one is, oh, this is, this is Merry Christmas from the Anarchist Bible Study. Uh, that's the, uh, the oh, that is well, the, uh, yeah. that is the link that he's linking to. Um, um, and, uh, and, and he says, I am Martin. I believe him because that entire sentence is capitalized. And I like, <laughs> I like to search through channel cause I get inspired mm. for art. And for I believe art. him. And I believe him because his Gmail address is Martin Kerouac, like Jack Kerouac at gmail.com. So I think he, nice. I think he might be. I think he's on the road. For, um, both by search, search through channel cause and by uh bloodline i i think um yeah i i, I think i think that's possible thus recently right. i heard your videos from your channel and it is really good i added two periods because he's not like other carols <laughs> um i really adored your videos some amigos of mine, some amigos of mine are promoting their videos over this page, link I'm never going to click. Um, <laughs> um, I just thought that might help you to expand your visitors a little bit more. And I believe him because none of the words in that sentence are capitalized. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so yes, wow. style. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm reading something... the original scrolls right now. Yeah. This is, this is good. <laughs> perhaps you find there something useful. Excuse me if I disturbed you, but I thought it would work also for you. Uh, well, smiley face, and I believe him because other than the smiley face, which of course did require um, uh, punctuation marks to do in uh, in email. Other than the smiley face, there is no punctuation in that sentence. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, so, and then um, and then regards M Kerua no. Um, so I, I, he was I busy in the names from the top to the bottom of the emails that we consistently get from our admirers on this channel. It, it, uh, it's very, he impressive. was busy hitting the road with Neil Cassidy. He didn't have time to drop the K at the end. Okay. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, oh, right. Jack Kerouac is with a K. This is Martin Kerouac with a C. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I didn't even think of that. It's spelled the same way, except except there's a C instead of a K. So, yeah, um, so you completely missed my on the road joke uh, earlier, but oh, okay. No, no, I got, I got there. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, that's who I was thinking of. See, I'm um, just trying to just, show off because we have a big time author in our our show that I also have read books. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I. Yes, I think I think um, uh, I, I, I think uh, I think it's then very um, uh, I, I think I think we should say especially um, uh, especially then uh, for Martin that we uh, that we uh, appreciate you and then um, we'll make sure that you also are invited into chat um that's next right. time because we also right. found your argument convincing that's um, absolutely right uh yeah uh 
And by the way, uh, you don't have to answer those emails anymore. Um, Patrick in the chat said he'll take care of the emails. Says okay. I'll just need I'll just need your social security number, credit card, and mother's maiden name. So <laughs> okay. I feel like that's legit. I, I feel like that's legit. Let's just uh, let's let him take care of the emails from now on. <laughs> I don't see any reason why that would be a problem. Uh, <laughs> uh, we. But of course, we also take uh, responses from uh, like actual responses, uh, and we had some some live chat replay responses from from episode forty four point five, the bonus, um, including a couple questions that I thought were really worth digging into. So we're kind of we're taking a, a little bit of a, a right turn into serious content, um, uh, and um, and two he, there there's two questions by. Um, uh, a friend, actually a friend of mine, Jacob, who, who watched our episode and, um, he asked a couple of really good questions. One of them, I think he thought we were going in a direction we weren't going. So that's all right. We don't, we've talked enough about Romans 13. We'll skip that question. Uh, but the first question he asked is why label yourself as this or that kind of libertarian? Um, now for con for, 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 um, context, we were talking about how, um, we're talking about the problem, uh, the, the thing that we've talked about a few times about the problem of, of Rothbard and Hoppe being, uh, and Mises not being non-Christians and how they start from a, a bad foundation and, and, um, and how that does lead us to, um, to say that we need to be careful about accepting all of their conclusions because, you know, the myth of neutrality applies to them as well. And yet in the context we said, and yet we don't think we don't reject everything because there's still, we were talking, uh, sorry, episode 44.5 was about uh, total depravity and um, what what mo um, modifies total depravity so that it doesn't just mean we're all as bad as we could be. Um, but we right. said like, you know, because of general revelation um, and God's uh, common grace, we still, even though they have, even acknowledging those um, shortcomings, and they're and they're massive. We still don't have a problem calling ourselves a Rothbardian libertarian or a, or even a Hoppian libertarian. Um, and so that's that's what he means is by why label yourself this or that kind of of libertarian. And I I guess it's, it's a good question. Um, it, it does. On the one hand, it seems like a um. W one could say isn't a Rothbardian libertarian just a libertarian. And I think, yeah, uh, but I, it's, I would say for the same reason that I call myself a reformed Christian, it's, it's not that I think, um, it's not that I think it's a different kind of Christian and, uh, I'm not like the other Christians I want to, it's more of a clarification of what I think is the most accurate, uh, Christianity. When I say I'm a Reformed Christian, what I really mean is I believe that the Reformed theological tradition of Christianity is the one that is correct. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I would rather be able to just say I'm a Christian. Um, but then there's the question of like, so what kind of Christian are you? So do I have statues of Mary in my house? Do I... Um, 
uh, wear a vestment when I come to preach. Well, you know, no, that's also why I clarify myself as a Baptist too. Uh, but but there's so so do you baptize children? Well, no, I'm not that kind of Christian. These these labels are helpful in that they clarify what I believe to be correct. Now. Another reason that that label is helpful is that I don't all have to go on and say, well, I'm just a Christian. I believe what Christians believe, and therefore everyone who doesn't believe what I believe is not a Christian. So I can both clarify that I think this is the right stream of tradition. This is the right theological tradition for accurately proclaiming what the Bible says, what, what God says through his word. And at the same time, I don't have to say those ones are not Christians. Um, there may be some Christians that I would, or some streams of Christianity that I was like, yeah, I don't think they're Christians, but, but, um, that, that's what labels I think are helpful for. Like, I, I'm not one of those guys who eschews labels in theology or, or I, I think that as long as they're helpful for defining things clearer, um, that's, that's why I like the term Rothbardian or hoppy and libertarian is because I, I want to make sure people know I am not, um, <clears throat> well, I'm not like one of the left wing libertarians. I'm, I'm hoppy and I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not a beltway libertarian. I'm Rothbardian. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want to, you know, I could even clarify. I'm not a Chicago school of economics libertarian. I'm Misesian. Like these, these are helpful labels because they clarify what I mean by libertarianism. You're not the kind of libertarian that could have voted for C4 in Canada, which may or may not have anything to do with an episode we may have just released. Yep. Uh, I think it's kind of nice. I, I have always been confused by people who say no labels, no labels in the libertarian world. And even in Christian world, I think it often, it, it means one, they don't know enough about it. They don't want to make a decision, especially in Christian world. Um, uh, but it, it gives context to what you believe, where you're coming from. And I think that's extremely helpful knowing that someone is a reformed Christian. I'm, you know, being a reformed Christian myself, I'm going to come into the conversation not having to clarify certain things. Whereas if I know someone is coming at this from more of a, um, a opposite side of the theological gambit, then, then when we start saying, Christianity, like there are some things that are going to have to be clarified lest we misunderstand each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And especially Carl Menger says in chat, um, when there are as many divisions and goals and strategies between sex in the school as there are within libertarianism, there is a really necessary utility to differentiation. And, and then also he adds labels or descriptions, not limitations. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. you know, once upon a time, you could be labeled without hating someone that didn't have your label. I, I yeah. think I think this whole team faction is at least being as as acerbic as it is now is relatively new. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's true. It's true. Um, you know, we as we've been saying in our in our evangelical down, as we said in our evangelical downgrade series. Um, part of the problem with a big tent is that actually leads to less unity. Uh, like if you, if you try to define everything into the tent, um, and then, and, and you minimize differences, well, those differences are still there and they're going to crop up in awkward places. Whereas if we can have clear 
delineation between one and another, like we know, okay, well, you know what? We're going to set this aside for this purpose. We know we don't agree. Like, you know, me and my uh, dispensationalist brother uh, going to, to battle on CRT and stuff like that. We can say, we're going to set aside this issue. Um, we're not going to say it's unimportant. We're going to set aside this issue for this for this purpose or, or even like, you know, I, there's so many ways in which, you know, reformed Baptists and Presbyterians, uh, get together on so many issues that we think are important to fight on. And, and, uh, it's not that we set aside the baptism issue. In fact, uh, uh we say, bring it back that's, in that's so where often. You always fight. That's where you, that's where the fights always come up. You, yeah. 99% we agree. And like, so what about that baptism thing? <laughs> Let me get my sword. Uh, <laughs> but but I think, you know, it, it is, it's a helpful debate and it's a helpful discussion, but, you know, uh, I, yeah. I think it actually, yeah. We've got a dear Presbyterian uh, church planter um, in, in our city that we, that our church uh, supports. Um, and so we want, because um, a lot of us do know him already, but he's never, he's never actually been in our pulpit. He's never. He's never been in our church in any sort of formal fashion. We were we were like, well, if he's in this town, we are supporting him. Like, we should have him come preach. And I go, okay, but um, we got to pick a text that has no water in it whatsoever. So there's just no <laughs> way. There's no because if, if there's any water in the text at all, we're all going to be on the edge of our seats just waiting. Oh, <laughs> oh lovely. Um, but the other question he asked, um, I thought this was actually really substantive, and it's the thing that we've talked about in bits and pieces, but I thought it would be actually really helpful to kind of explain. Like, in fact, we've been somewhat, I would even, I would even say we've been somewhat flippant on this issue. Uh, just, you know, not, not to dismiss anyone who disagrees with us, but um, just because we've just, you know, we, we, we make jokes. That's what we do. Um, but uh, he, he said, I believe scripture shows that the law has no purpose for the believer. Doesn't the spirit replace the need for the law to convict us? Um, and, and of course, you know, I'm, uh, uh, we very easily could take this in a, in a attack light, but I don't think he meant it. Cause I, I like I said, he's a friend. Um, uh, and, but it is a good question and an important issue. Um, because there are two tensions when it comes to this conversation, a biblical tension and a historical tension. So in the biblical tension, we, um, we, we do see statements, um, in the, in the new Testament, such as we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And, um, and then we also see, as you've pointed out, uh, uh, brother Jeff, sometimes as, uh, we see Jesus say, uh, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, which we then define as fulfilling as abolishing the law and the prophets. Um, and, and, and there is a tension there as, and yet we look to the Christian tradition and we see on all throughout the Christian tradition, um, wherever there's a catechism written, part of it is 
an exposition of the Ten Commandments and their application for the believer. And so, um, really, it wasn't until, it really wasn't until the dispensational movement that we started seeing this definition of be of we are not under law as meaning we don't follow the law period. Um, and it largely comes with their hermeneutic. I'm not going to blame it entirely on them. I think there's, and I'm not going to say that there's, they don't have a case. I'm going to try and explain. I'm going to try and be very, very even handed with this. Um, but their hermeneutic being as it is tied to, um, well, okay. This was actually, I discovered this. I, I didn't know this until I was listening to, um, Ligonier podcast speak about, um, dispensationalism on five minutes in church history. Great podcast, uh, by the way, um, five minutes in church history. You're going to learn so much in a short amount of time. Um, weekly, weekly podcast by, uh, uh, Stephen Nichols, right? Yeah. Um, and he talked about how actually the founder of dispensationalism, um, uh, Darby, that's Darby. Darby right? one of them. Um, J and Darby, I think. Is that would that be the first right? Yeah. I'm very. I. Sh- I, he's, I he's, he's certainly one of the earliest, if he's not the very yeah. first. Um, I, I'm, you know, I love being, um, really, I love speaking authoritatively on history while also confusing names. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 what I didn't realize about him was the original dispensationalist, the first kind of dispensationalist dispensationalist. The reason he uses language, the word dispensation, is he is actually quoting intentionally the Westminster Confession, and he was a ardent Calvinist. And the whole purpose of his covenantal of his framework was to preserve the distinction between law and gospel. Right. So he he did not want to see any confusion of law and gospel. And so he said law for Israel, gospel for Christian. And and that hermeneutic became something else, um, largely at the behest of uh um oh my goodness, the guy who wrote the big Bible commentary, Bible or oh, not Bible commentary. No, 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 not the, not the, um, the study Bible. Uh, oh, oh, Schofield. Schofield, oh, Schofield. Schofield. Yeah, yes. Schofield really took it in the direction that it would kind of become. Um, but, but that was the original intention of, of it. And so at, this was a big part of it. It still is a big part of the dispensational hermeneutic to make a hard and fast distinction between law and gospel. Law for Israel, period. Gospel for uh, Christian. And so they are the ones who came up, come up with this hermeneutic of saying, so which laws apply to the Christian? The ones that are restated in the new Testament. So if the law gets restated in the new Testament, therefore it's a law that continues. And then they would say, Oh, and then notice the Sabbath doesn't get restated in the new Testament. So this fourth commandment of the 10 commandments is out. So we don't have to follow that. You know, we don't follow the Ten Commandments because of the Ten Commandments. We follow the Nine Commandments that get restated. Um, and then they would also say, well, you know, there is no... The tithe is never brought up in the New Covenant, so that's not a New Covenant thing. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some other examples. Um, well, okay, so actually, 
I was going through with a friend, I was uh, going through, I was explaining, I had said just in passing that I'm more comfortable with the 1644 Baptist Confession than the 1689. Um, and, and, uh, and one of the reasons is um, I think the 1689 is a little lazy in justifying war for a Christian magistrate. Um, but it's very clear that one of the things that they're responding to there was the Anabaptist contention that um, that war was justified in the old covenant, but not in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Now, they do a particularly bad job of this because their one proof text is um, from Luke 3, which is mm-hmm. John the Baptist, who would be the very last Old Testament prophet. Yeah. Prophet. Yeah. Not even, not even. So the whole argument yeah. of the Anabaptists was that it changed at the Sermon on the Mount. So pick something after the Sermon on the Mount. It yeah. Was, it was like really just not even understanding yeah. exactly yeah. Yeah. what they were. But, but I, yeah. Anyway, that, so, so like a lot of, a lot of the, the traditional Anabaptist pacifism um, comes from comes from a a a similar move, which is yeah. that you have pre Sermon on the Mount and then and then Jesus radically changes. Um, yeah. I don't. I, they, they're not saying that he Although, gets rid of the law, but that he radically yeah. reinterprets it at the Sermon on the Mount, and now yeah. now pacifism, and and so that's right. Uh, so. Uh, and so uh yeah sorry yeah but and and, and i think um so so that is a, a stream of tradition that would take a similar approach and yet i think when we when we look at w- this modern idea of we are not under law period law has nothing to say to the believer period um that that sort of ethos that comes into evangelicalism it usually isn't the anabaptist stream of thought it's usually more of this dispensational um and 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 of course you've got the kind of uh new covenant dispensational um or the new covenant theology which is in some ways kind of a um a a uh, moderate moderating position between dispensationalism and uh classical covenant theology um but but I, this is this is where I start. This is where I start in, in discussing that that question. For me, as I've often said, I don't know if I've ever said that on the show, but as I often say to people when I'm talking about this issue, um, they're hermeneutic. They're this hermeneutic that 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 is very common um, among new covenants or progressive covenant or dispensational scholars, uh, and and gets into the water of evangelicalism in general. Their hermeneutic of if it's restated in the New Testament, it still applies. I like to turn around and say, I'm less interested in what gets restated than how it is restated. Like, in, in which case we find... Show, What's that? You have said this on the show. I have said this way. on the show. Okay. <laughs> in, in which case we get these... Important. Crazy interesting um, things like... Uh, in discussing paying elders, 
Paul says this uh, remarkable phrase of like, well, have you not heard? Have you not read in the scriptures that a ox should not be muzzled? <laughs> like, wait, what? So that is a restatement of the Old Testament law in the new co- in the new covenant in the New Testament, and it's stated in such a well. Haven't you read this? And that that's what's really interesting. Um, that's what's really interesting is is for me is not what commandments get restated, but how do they get restated? Most of the time, it is in this like, well, didn't you read this? Like, didn't you didn't you read? The old covenant say this, like, haven't you read this in the law? Haven't you read that in the law? And so the assumption seeming to be made there is, of course, the law has enduring significance for the believer. Right? So my, I guess my first question would be, and I'm, I like, I, I could not go that in depth on this topic. Um, Matthew 22, where Jesus says, he's talking about the great commandments and he says uh, all the, what is it? All the law, um, all the law and the, uh, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. So in essence, he's taking the entirety of the law and sort of legitimizing it, but say they hang on these two commandments, which is a very new Testament commandment. So he's not getting rid of it nor is he mm-hmm. nullifying it um you you can't really nullify the law in that sense but he's he's bringing it all together like i think it's a beautiful tie-in if mm-hmm. if i had to give an answer on it yeah yeah absolutely and, and that's an, an, a, a great uh a great observation i think an important point in that too is like those two commandments um he's asked what are the most important commandments in the law and Jesus says, these are it. Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And says, everything else hangs on these two commandments, which is remarkable. And, and that's how catechisms and confessions have handled the law uh, as far as we look back. And so the, the, the tension that, I've, that we see then, that we're seeing, is, is the way they're, they're, they're quoted is not like, you know that all the laws have passed away, but these ones continue to abide. It's always stated as a matter of course. So the question we've had to ask is, which laws continue and how? And which ones don't continue? Because um, there is a sense in which the law has passed away. Like, the that the, the law has passed away. Like, um... And I think the best way, the best way I've seen is to, first of all, we need to clarify what we mean by law versus gospel, because I don't think that the New Testament speaks uniformly on this. Um, yeah, I think um, if there's one way that we mean law and gospel distinction in the sense of salvation Mm-hmm. Um, am I saved by the law? Absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. I mean, for one thing, that's a confusion of categories. You can't be saved by doing what the law says. You need to be saved from the fact that you didn't do what the law says. Um, right. But can I get to God by law keeping? 
And and the answer is absolutely not. Like the the law, right. the, the New Testament. In fact, I'd say the Old Testament is pretty clear about that. Like we are going to if fall you short. Could keep the law, you could. Yes. But you can't keep the law, therefore you can't. <laughs> yes, right. And yeah. so, and, and you can't make up for for law breaking by more law keeping because that's not how law works, right? <laughs> right. You break one and you're guilty of it all. Yeah. Uh, or, or the illustration that I sometimes use to my youth group is, um, so uh, I'm brought up in court for murder, and I say, yes, you're right, I did murder. However, I also help little old ladies cross the street, and I also give to charity. So shouldn't yeah. that, you know, like the judge is going to be like, what What does that have to do with anything? Like, did you I break stopped, the law? I stopped the lights. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It, the, right. the college I went to was extremely Armenian, but very, very strict. And my friends and I, we had what we called conscience points. And if you served in nursery during, you know, Sunday or whatever, you got conscience points and you could save them up and then spend them on certain sins. Like if you wanted to sin big, then you had certain conscience points that you'd have to sit. And yeah, unfortunately, the law doesn't actually work like that. Yeah. You don't get free nights yeah. and weekends. Yeah. 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 And, and so in that case, law gospel distinction is so utterly important that we, we never in any way confuse good works for saving. Like that is where Paul has the hardest distinction between law and gospel. You cannot by good works attain salvation. It is by faith and faith alone because you need Christ's good works, his perfect good works and his perfect obedience, um, active obedience and passive obedience. Like you need all of that. And so in that sense, yes, the law has nothing for us. Um, the second way would be kind of, I guess you could call it a, um, uh, um, I want, I want to say like a homiletical or, or maybe like a, a uh, pedagogical law versus gospel distinction, in which case we could say, is, is there a use for the law in teaching the gospel? Like for instance, um, is there, is there a place for the law in that? And for that, I think Paul's answer goes the opposite direction. He says, absolutely. Like for one yeah. thing, we don't know our need for the gospel until we hear the law, you yeah. know, that, we, we need to hear what the law has to say about our sin and about our judgment before we know we need Christ. Um, and, and, and also like the laws of use and understanding the gospel, because we can see Christ's perfection in the law and we can see uh, the perfect holiness of God that we're uh, attaining to, we're seeking for. And, and really where we get controversial as reformed is we say, there's also a use for the law uh, in as as I was I, I would put it as a yardstick in measuring sanctification. I don't think we can be sanctified by the law any more than we can be justified by the law. It's still the gospel that sanctifies us, but it's a yardstick we use to compare. So, like, where am I in sin and uh, in in my growth in fighting sin, and also the law continues to apply to the believer as a as pushing us to repentance in the path of obedience. Um, and of course, where we're going to get really controversial is that the law is of use in ordering a well-ordered society, uh, which that's going to be 
I, I need, we, need to pro- we need to prove that it's still abiding in the third sense before we can get to that. <laughs> but, Namely by restraining restraining the evil of men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this third sense is really the sense, though, that, um, that the, the New Testament speaks that really, um, I think, is the part that really needs the most clarity. Because this is where I think it's important... Okay, I'm about to stick my neck out. I don't know if Jeff agrees with me on this one. Um, but this is where <laughs> I think it Okay, I can't prove it without within uh uh prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I do believe that Hebrews is written by Paul. I I think it has all the theological markers of a Pauline sermon. Uh, I've heard the the argument that Paul gave the sermon and it was transcribed by Luke. And that's why it's it has uh, common language with Luke, but I think it's got common theology to Paul. So I think the people who think that there's a, a theological difference between Paul and Hebrews um, don't really understand Paul. <laughs> um, but the reason I think that that's, it's, it's worth... Um, the reason why I think that matters is because, for instance, okay, I'm using this as an analogy. Um, in, uh, in Thessalonians, one of the Thessalonian letters, we find an early version of the armor of God. It's, 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 in fact, um, we read the Thessalonian passages outside of um, the, the, the two eschatological passages, very little. And so we don't ever see these, these uh, verses, but we find, um, I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's basically three pieces of armor and they don't exactly line up with what Paul will write later in Ephesians. Um, but it is, uh, it's a, it's like an early version. Like he's, he's, he's seeing a he's developing, yeah, he's seeing some kind of an analogy develop there of the Christian virtues and going to war and putting on the armor of of a of a of, of a soldier, but it's not the full version that we're going to see later in Ephesians. In Ephesians six, we've got kind of the full worked out uh, understanding, and uh, this doesn't make his early version incorrect. He's just working out a, 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 it's more like a first draft, I guess you could say, um, of a metaphor. Uh, I think maybe that's what we're seeing between some of the ways Paul speaks of law versus gospel and the way Hebrews speaks much more clearly on the difference between old covenant and new covenant. Sometimes he uses law as a, um, a label for old covenant Right. that what, sometimes what he means by law is just the old covenant uh, administration or dispensation that, that it was defined by the Mosaic law. And so it's not an improper name for it. It's, it's the dispensation of the law. Um, but in that's, I think that is the sense in which we are no longer under law. What he's saying there is we are not under the old covenant dispensation. 
We are not under the whole old covenant rule of following, for instance, the dietary restrictions, which were meant to separate Israel as a people, uh, not meant to follow their ceremonial law, which was supposed to prepare us for Christ and point us to Christ. We were not meant to follow um, certain uh, called theocratic civil governance rules. Um, it was, and yet, um, th and this is the conclusion that Mr. Law Gospel himself, Martin Luther, came to, is that there are some aspects of the law that while they don't apply in a one-to-one -one manner from Israel to the church, do have things to say to the church. Sometimes it's as a type of Christ, as pointing to Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's used in, in more of a, you could say, a metaphorical way, like an oxen should not be muzzled, applying to uh, a, uh, elders who rule well should be paid. Um, but sometimes it does apply one-to-one -one because the law we're talking about is comes directly from the heart of God. And that's, I think, what explains so much more the way that these laws are quoted as like, well, of course. You know, well, of course you follow this the, the law. The law comes from the heart of God, from the moral heart of God. This is about the holiness that God has transcribed in the law. And so um, Luther says it like this, that I don't follow the law the Ten Commandments, because Moses wrote them down. I follow the Ten Commandments because they were true in the heart and mind of God before Moses ever wrote a word. And those laws, um, we, we have to come up with a name for them, and the, the way the church has always described these laws, the name it has given to these laws is the moral law. Um. It seems like a fitting name for it. Um, we're talking about the morals, holiness. And so if those continue to abide, the question is how do they abide? And that's where we step back into the pedagogical use of the law gospel distinction is that they have, since they have enduring significance before God, they have enduring significance for the believer. And, 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 um, and that's why I think there is something significant about the fact that God tells us to give one day in seven. Like that's heart of God. He intends us to give him one day in seven. In fact, it's written into creation. Um, that one, that one very clearly comes before the Mosaic law. It's written into creation. We're to take one day in seven. Now what day that is shifts uh, as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we, we take the one day in seven being Sunday, but um, and, and, and it doesn't line up one-to-one -one with what they did in the Sabbath in the Old Testament because there was, S Sabbath is a very mixed law. Like you've got moral law mixed with civil law, mixed with ceremonial law. And so it's, it's not a clear one-to-one -one or clean one-to-one. -one, um, but there is something of, of an enduring significance. And, you know, I think a tithe is not a bad place to start when asking what should I give to the Lord of, of of my first fruits. I mean, 10% is a good start. I don't know. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I think it's a good start to say, for instance, that, uh, um, except in, 
extreme cases of necessity or mercy. Um, I should not, since I politic for a living, I should not politic on Sundays. Um, but I can, I can start a fire. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a fire surrounding uh, <laughs> behind my phone here. Um, <laughs> I did start it today. I didn't, I didn't start it yesterday and just yeah. leave it um, and keep throwing sticks on it today. You um, know what? I, uh, I started this fire today. But um, I don't light a candle because I've got electricity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but I, but I hope that does explain kind of like we, uh, we, we very easily could have answered this in a flippant way and I didn't want to. And I know we've mostly made jokes about this in the past. We haven't really given a thorough explanation of, of what we mean by this. And I think there was a, ne- a necessary, that, I think that was necessary to, to kind of lay out what, um, what we mean by the enduring significance of the law and why we we believe that the catechisms are not making a mistake. The Reformed catechisms specifically are not making a mistake when they describe the catechisms as something that has enduring significance for the believer. And also, I, I guess maybe I want to touch on that last, second question of the Spirit replacing the need of the law to convict us. I think um, I think that's a little bit of a category confusion in the same way that... Um, we could also say, so doesn't the spirit um, teach us about Jesus? So why do we need the word? Well, I, you know, I think, and I think you would, you would acknowledge, well, the spirit uses the word the spirit uses the word to teach us about God, teach us about Christ. It's not one or the other um, as, as the catech, uh, the, the um, Westminster catechism and the Keech catechism follows it says, you know, um, uh, while the light of nature and man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God, his word and spirit only to effectually reveal him unto us for our salvation. We need the word of God, the spirit of God speaking by the word of God. So when the spirit of God convicts us about our sin, it does so using the moral law of God. Like we, I hear the law that says you shall not steal. And then the spirit convicts me about my stealing you know i i i i hear jesus's death uh jesus's um going deeper on the subject of thou shalt not murder as saying you shall not hate your brother and the spirit convicts me about the fact that i am currently hating my brother so um i think that uh that is a i think that's that's an important um the spirit does that and i would say he always has done that the spirit it's been clarified in the new covenant that the spirit is the aspect of it not aspect oh i almost accidentally heresied uh the spirit is the person of god who does the convicting of of god's people but he's always been the one who does that and he has always done that through the moral law of god so yes. all right was that a is that an, enough of a of a of a, a bonus episode I, I mean, it's so thanks for joining us. Day. It's almost the next day here in Mountain Time. So for you, <laughs> well, so thank you for joining us for episode forty-five point five. Go to please support us at buymeacoffee.com/flyover uh, and join us next week. <laughs> join us next week for episode forty-five. Uh, and for you, poor suckers in live chat, uh, we're just going to keep talking. A, unless there is a forty-five point seven five. Oof. 
Ooh, we do we do that, don't we? We're the worst. Um, so. <laughs>